on this episode, faith, obedience, praise, promises, fear, God's intervention, and mercy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the titles, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is episode 11, and today we're starting the first lesson of the Abraham study. In the last episode, we talked about the Tower of Babel and the scattering of the people all over the earth. And then we discussed where each of Noah's sons settled and talked a little bit about their descendants. And in chapter 11 of Genesis, it tells us the genealogy of Shem, and Abraham actually is a descendant of Shem. What's also really interesting is that Noah and Shem were both still alive when Abraham was born, even though it was 10, 11 generations later, because these people lived a long time. So everyone mentioned in chapter 11 of the genealogy of Shem is still alive at the time that Abram, Nahor, and Haran are born, which is kind of cool. It's been a little less than 300 years since the flood. Before we start talking about Abraham, I want to talk a little bit about his father, Terah, because there's some other places in the Bible that tell us a little bit about Terah. The first place is Joshua 24. In this chapter of Joshua, the people are about to enter the promised land, and Joshua is just reiterating to the people how this all started before they entered the promised land. And so now and then we'll be referring to this chapter in Joshua as it refers to the things that we'll be discussing about Abraham. So Joshua chapter 24, it says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, their judges, their officers, and presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. And so we're going to stop right there because I just wanted you to see that his father Terah served other gods. And now Abraham is going to be called to serve the Lord, our God. You'll also notice that Abraham's name in the beginning is not Abraham. It is Abram. Names meant a lot back then, and so we're going to also be talking as we go throughout this study about what each person's name meant, because Abram means exalted father, and later it's changed to Abraham because God wants his name to stand for something different. Now, in chapter 11, verse 26, it says that Terah lived 70 years, and then he had Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So those were his three sons. Now, he had one of those sons when he was 70. They weren't triplets. He had Abram around age 130. So let's go ahead and read the genealogy of Terah, starting in verse 27. This is the genealogy of Terah. 
Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So it says that Terah lived in the land of Ur, which is in present-day Iraq near the Persian Gulf. And then they moved to a town named Haran, which is on the Syrian-Turkish border. Abram married a woman named Sarah, and right at this moment, Sarah is unable to have children. You'll watch as that changes as we go through this study, but at this moment, she is barren. We also learn from this passage that his son Haran dies fairly early, and he has a son named Lot. He also has a daughter named Milcah, and his brother Nahor marries her. And then whenever Terah and Abram leave, they bring Lot with them. The name Milcah means queen, and the name Sarah means princess. Terah died in Haran at the age of 205, which is around 3000 BC. And at this time, Abram's called by the Lord. So we're going to read the first three verses of chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Actually, we're just going to stop right there. God literally tells Abram, Leave everything you know, your family, your town, and go to a place that I'm going to show you. Which basically means, start walking, I'll tell you when to stop. Some people like the adventure. They would be fine. Just, okay, let's go. Show me. I'm ready. This would be very unsettling to me. I've lived within the same 15 miles my entire life. And even though I like visiting places, I also like knowing what's going on. And so for me, it would be unsettling to just go somewhere. I'm not sure where, not sure when, not sure how long. I know nothing. Thankfully, he doesn't just say go. He gives him a little bit more information. So let's read two and three now. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So even though God didn't tell Abram where he was going or what he was going to find when he got there, he did tell him that he would be with him and that his journey would be blessed. He gives him an if-then scenario that Abram gets the best end of the deal of for sure because he basically just says, if you will do this one thing, if you will just step out in faith, just go where I tell you to go, then I will do all these other things. Listen to the things. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I'll make you a blessing to other people. I'll bless everybody that blesses you and curse everybody that curses you. And every single person on the earth will be blessed through you. In light of all that, I think I could leave my home. No matter how comfortable it is, I can leave my comfort zone if I know that God's place is the blessed place. No matter where we go, if it's the place that God has for us, then it's the blessed place. 
If it is the place that we have for ourselves, then it will never be as blessed as the place that God has for us. I would always rather leave the place that I want to be to be at the place that God wants me to be because I know that His ways are best. Throughout this study, we're going to watch as one after the other of these promises is fulfilled in unbelievable measure. I mean, God is telling him this, but he has no concept of what God is about to do through him. It's immeasurable. And you know, it can be the same way in our own lives. It can be that just one simple act of faith, just one simple act of blind obedience, that through that, God can do something that we can't even fathom. Something so big and so amazing and so wonderful that we can't even comprehend it right now. If we knew that, we'd go, right? But we do know always that God's ways are the blessed ways. Now, I do have to tell you real quick that if you did buy the Abraham study, there's a chart in there that lists all of the promises on the left side that God just gave. And then as we go through this study, you will be able to mark over there on the right side all of the places where God's promises are being fulfilled. If you didn't buy that study, it's not a big deal. That's all it is. It's just a list of these promises. You can do that on your own sheet of paper if you so choose. But I will be pointing this out as we go through. There's an answer to God's promise. There's a fulfillment of His promise over and over again. So just be watching for that. Okay, so let's move on to verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So I want to stop right there because note how old he is. 75. He's been alive a long time before God calls him to do the most important thing that he'll ever do. You may be thinking because I said that people were living a long time back then that this was not a long time in the span of Abram's life, but it really was because he only lived to be 175. People were increasingly having shorter lifespans, and so this was the middle of Abram's life. But regardless, he had still lived for 75 years before he was called by the Lord. I just hope that this encourages you in two ways. The first way is to just remind yourself that you're never too old. You know, sometimes we feel useless to God and to others. We feel unneeded, unable to do things that we want to do. We feel tired or used up. That is not from God. If He has us on this earth, then He has us here for a purpose. He uses all that are willing. You are never too old to be used by God. Your service to Him may look different than it did when you were 20, but you still have a purpose in Him. As a matter of fact, much of the time it's a greater purpose because we've lived and learned and we're wiser and stronger. Now, the other way that I hope that this encourages you is towards others. Remind yourself that it's never too late for a person to surrender their life to God. It is never too late People that we love and we think their situation's hopeless. They haven't grown up by now, gotten clean, taken responsibility, changed their ways by now, then they probably never will. We may look at ourselves in that same way. You know, I've done too much. It's, it's just too late. These are understandable human feelings, but Abram is a great example that God can change the direction of your life no matter how long you've been stuck in this same place. No matter how long another person has been stuck in the same place, if we entrust our life to Him or the lives of those that we love to Him, 
than the God of hope that isn't bound by time and circumstances. He is faithful and he is able to use them, to change them. It is never, ever too late. As long as we are here on this earth, there is time. So just don't give up hope. Now let's go ahead and continue reading in verse 5. Then Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah and the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. This is the first time that God tells him anything about where he's going. Shechem is 400 miles from the place where he left. So he's been traveling for a very long time before he gets any word from God as to what's going on. You know, sometimes we feel like, okay, you told me to do this. Nothing's happening. What's going on? Sometimes it takes us a long time to have any idea why we're going in the direction that we're going. As a matter of fact, sometimes we never know. Things are happening that we're unable to see. It took Abram a long time before God told him anything about this land that he was going to. But now God's telling him he's going to give his descendants this land. He's letting Abram know, you will have children and they will inherit this land. So this is just a little more information about the promise that God has for Abram. Another place that we're going to be referring to as we talk about Abram is Acts 7. Because in this chapter, Stephen addresses the priests and starts back at this moment with Abram telling them how they've gotten to this place. And so each time that we talk about something with Abram that Stephen also talks about, we're going to go back and read what he has to say because oftentimes we get little bits more of information as we read in other places. And so that's the difference between reading God's Word and studying God's Word. When you read God's Word, you just read this passage in Genesis and that's great. But when you study it, you start looking in other places of the Bible and then you find things like Terah served other gods or whatever. And so that's why we do this, why we go and look in other places because you're thinking, oh, well, I already heard this. I know this. But a lot of times we get a little bit more information. So let's read in Acts 7, beginning in verse 1. Then the high priest said, said this to Stephen, are these things so? And Stephen said, brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and he dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now live. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on, but even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. So here, Stephen is telling the people, this land that you live on right now, it was promised to Abraham when he didn't even have any children. And now you can see that this is being fulfilled. Stephen's presenting his case to the priests for why he believes what he believes. 
This portion of land that he's talking about is what is known as the promised land because it is promised to Abraham at this time. Now, I want you to also notice that Abram's immediate response to God giving him this promise is worship. It says he built an altar to the Lord that had appeared to him. And not only was he praising him privately, but he was praising him publicly. There were people around him that were seeing what he was doing. He wasn't hiding his commitment to the Lord. So that should just make us think a little bit about how open are we with our praise to God. When we're surrounded by people that don't know God, do we let that intimidate us and make us hide our faith? Or are we bold and continue to walk with God even as other people are watching us? God wants us to walk with Him unashamed. So that's something that we always need to be mindful of. Now, these places that he is talking about, these towns, Bethel and Ai, these towns will come up again. Bethel is actually named by Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and it means the house of God, the place that we meet with God, which is exactly what Abram did here. This is also the place where Jacob has his dream, the dream that we call Jacob's Ladder. It's at the top of this ladder that the Lord stands and restates this same promise that he made to Abram to Jacob and lets him know that it's going to be fulfilled through him. So Bethel is a significant town. Ai is the place that Joshua's army is initially defeated by a small number of men because of one person's sin, and then they do end up defeating it and taking possession of that land. So we'll continue to see how God fulfills his promises in these two places. So let's continue reading in chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he had said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen, when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Okay, so Abram has continued traveling south because there's a famine in the land where he is. And so he goes to Egypt, but as he gets closer, he starts to get scared. Sarah is 65 years old at this time and apparently very beautiful. And so he's worried that they're going to want her for themselves and that they're going to kill him so that they can have her. So, just for a moment, I know we need to put ourselves in Abram's place, and we will, but me, as a woman, I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, what is Sarah's response supposed to be to this? Because the way he handles this just strikes me as offensive. I know I didn't live in these times, and things are different, and he's afraid, but he asks her to do this thing, and he says, you know, It's really for your sake. I mean, it's the thing that's best for you because you're the one that's really going to be in trouble once I'm gone, you know, and I don't like that all that much, but I do assume that this is a possibility or he wouldn't be thinking it. And so I've never been a man and I don't have the responsibility of taking care of my family and protecting them and myself. So I understand that he's in a difficult position, but he's now put his wife in a difficult position because what is she supposed to say now? Is she supposed to lie because her husband asked her to? 
Or is she supposed to go against him and do what she knows to be right or what she believes to be right? We know that it's wrong according to God's word to lie. And so is it okay for her to do that because he's asked her to? Again, we're going to look in another place in the Bible to maybe help us get our answers to this question because to me, this is difficult to know what to do. In 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, it says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, and putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So it says that Sarah was submissive to Abraham. Sarah obeyed her husband, letting him be in charge of their family. And it says if we obey our husbands and submit ourselves to them, allowing them to be the leaders of our home, then we are her daughters and we do good. So this praised Sarah. It did not chastise her for obeying Abraham. I believe that the reason she was praised is because she did not go against him. He believed that this was best, and so she's showing her respect for him by doing what he wanted for her to do. It says that she wasn't afraid with any terror, and so she was placing her hope in God, not in her husband. You know, there may be times when we believe that our husbands are doing something that goes against what we believe the Lord wants for us to do. But if we allow Him to lead us in the way that He feels best, then we're possessing that inward, imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit that God says wins them over to Him. It says they may obey the Word without a word from us just because of our conduct. Just because we submit to them and we show them respect and honor, then they may be won over to the Word of God. And so, ultimately, we submit to our husbands as our leaders, and He submits to the Lord as His leader. Our responsibility is to obey Him, and His responsibility is to obey the Lord. And it says that if He is not obeying the Lord, that the way that we get Him to obey the Word of the Lord is not by going against Him, but by quietly doing as He says, showing how we obey the Lord. If He disobeys God, then He answers to God for that. We do not. We are held responsible if we go against Him. So each of us has a role to play, and our role as wives is to allow our husbands to lead us. And their roles as husbands is to allow God to lead them. So verse 14 says, So it was, when Abram came into Egypt, that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep and oxen, male donkeys and male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. So she did what Abram asked. 
And the people did think she was beautiful, and they told Pharaoh, and Pharaoh took her into his home. This makes me wonder what exactly Abram thought was going to happen. He knew that he wasn't going to be killed, but what did he think they were going to do whenever they found out that Sarai was single? Now that this has happened, he can't undo it. They surely will kill him at that point. And so you have to wonder if he's sitting there every evening as he goes to sleep thinking, is she in Pharaoh's bed? Does he feel like he let her down? It seems like he was so concerned with his own safety that he wasn't thinking this plan completely through. He'd let his own fears and selfishness compel him to ask her to lie. And then now he's put them in this situation because of that. Because of his fear and his selfishness, they're now in a situation that he doesn't know how to get out of. Listen to verse 17. It says, But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is your sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. That's such a beautiful part of this passage because Abram has put Sarah in such a horrible situation, but God sees her and he intervenes. He plagues the house of Pharaoh with a great plague. And for whatever reason, that allows Pharaoh to understand that Sarai is Abram's wife. And he confronts Abram. Obviously, this lie isn't okay because he is very angry about it. This is a pagan king. And he's like, why in the world would you do this to me? I might would have taken her as my wife and then violated a woman that I should not have. And it's all because you lied. I want to go back just for a moment at verse 16 because it looks as though Pharaoh is angry, but then it almost looks like Abram got rewarded for what he had done because he gets all of these things that Pharaoh had given to him in verse 16, the animals and the servants, and then Pharaoh just sends him away with all of those things plus his wife. So I want us to look at that for a moment and think, did did God reward his life? Let's look at a couple of other places in the Bible and see if it's possible that God had rewarded him for this lie. Look with me in Psalm 85, 2. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. And then again in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this tells us that sin deserves death, but God gives us the gift of eternal life. And the verse before tells us that God covers sin. So I think a better thought would be that God had mercy on Abram and not that he was rewarding him for this sin. God had already promised to bless Abraham. And so he should have just trusted that and done what was right. But God had made him a promise. And apparently this was not a conditional blessing. Listen to Deuteronomy 7, 9. It says, Therefore know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, that keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. So God knows that we're going to mess up. And Abram did mess up. But his love for us is not conditional, and his blessing upon Abraham was not conditional. 
This just conveys to us the understanding and mercy that God extends towards his people. He just wants us to follow him. He doesn't want us to be perfect. Abram stepped out in faith. He followed. He went where God told him to go. And so was he perfect? No, but he's following God. And sometimes our fear and selfishness can just lead us to do stupid things. But God's love and compassion is bigger than that. He can reach beyond that and he can still deliver us. And that's what he did for Abram. So what I want to leave you with is let's place ourselves in their shoes. When the man that was supposed to take care of Sarah did not, her heavenly father did. So maybe you've been let down by someone today, someone that was supposed to take care of you, someone that was supposed to think of you above themselves, but was too afraid or too selfish to do so. Know today that you have a God that sees, a God that is able to intervene. If you happen to still be in Pharaoh's house, so to speak, in this place that this other person has put you, know that God sees you and he is able to intervene. Continue to pray to him. Continue to ask him. Cry out to him and say, Lord, deliver me from this place. Please get me out. And if you happen to have already been delivered, forgive the person that put you there. Know that just as God gave Abram mercy, he can give that person mercy too. And he gives it to us. We may not this moment be that person that needs the mercy, that needs the forgiveness, but we will at some point. And God is faithful to forgive us. So we should be faithful to forgive others whenever they are just too afraid or too selfish to do the things that they need to be doing. Listen to this verse in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to him, which is Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he had begun to settle accounts. One was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents. But as he wasn't able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, that his payments may be made. But the servant fell down before him and said, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him of that debt. But then that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat and said, Pay me what you owe me. So his servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he went and he threw him into prison till he would pay his debt. So when this fellow servant saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and they came and told their master all the things that had been done. And the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry, and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And then Jesus says, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So what Jesus is saying is that you are the servant that owes the Father a debt. You need forgiveness from him. And God has been gracious to forgive you. So don't be like this man who once you're forgiven turns around and won't forgive another person. Just as God forgave you, forgive others. 
So just as we need God's mercy and forgiveness for our weaknesses, others deserve that from us. And I know that's hard, but ask God to help you. Ask God to help you to give the same mercy and grace that He gives to you. They're only human, and most likely they either did what they thought was best, or they were just too afraid or selfish to see the damage that it was going to do to you. Now, let's say that you're not in the position of Sarah. Say that you're in the position of Abram, that you happen to be the one that's failed somebody that you were entrusted to care for, but you were too selfish or fearful to care for them in the way that you should. Call on the mercy and grace of your Heavenly Father. Remind yourself that He does not expect you to be perfect. He just wants you to follow Him. It's about direction, not perfection. If Abram can still receive a blessing, then so can we. If Abram can still receive forgiveness and grace in his weaknesses, then we can too. So that's what I want to leave you with today. Just know that God is enough. He is enough if you have sinned and He is enough if you have been placed in a situation that you don't know how to get out of. He's enough. He can intervene. He can forgive. He loves His children. All He wants from us is for us to follow Him. Blind obedience. Blind faith. Step out in faith today doing what God asks you to do and trust Him to care for you on that journey. So, I hope that it was encouraging to you today. Next episode, we're going to talk about Lot and Abram and what it looks like when we aren't selfish and we give preference to others. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Feel free to email me with any comments or questions that you may have. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.